0: Gospel reading today is Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 2. Some Pharisees came, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, He said to them, "'Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery.'" People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "'Let the children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs.'" Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Well, I looked at the list, and I said, I would get this scripture. (laughs) This is a very difficult passage where Jesus is being tested by the Pharisees who have come and tried to trip him up. And I want to focus on that aspect of the story. A few verses before, we've had this story of John the baptizer being beheaded because he got under the skin of one of the kings. And this particular king had recently divorced his wife, and married his brother's wife. So he had dumped one to get with another who had been sitting next to him at the Thanksgiving dinner table anyway. So there was a lot of heartache in that family, and it was all the buzz in the community. People talking about, can you believe this royal divorce and wedding that we're having And the Pharisees say, let's see what Jesus has to say about this hot news item that's taking place. And if he's saying the wrong thing, he may wind up like John the baptizer, which was dead. He may wind up being arrested. So Jesus speaks from his heart and says, basically, I'm not even going there with the whole Herod, thing. I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to go the opposite direction of what you think I'm going to say. And I'm going to go even more conservative than Moses. And I'm going to make it clear that we ought to take care of each other like we say we're going to do. I'm going to make it clear that I am saying something here that is going to make your eyebrows and your hair bend back as if wind were blowing on it. I'm going to shock you. And of course, they were stunned. They had nothing to say. They were further stunned when he went ahead and said, when people were bringing their children to him and saying, oh, touch my child, bless my child. Normally, folks would say, get your kid out of here. Get your darn kids out of here. Kids, who needs them? Children should be seen and not heard. But very counter to his culture, Jesus says, let the children come to me, bring them to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. If we had a totem pole of what society was like, children would be on the bottom. We'd have widows right here and then we'd have children. Um, Widows had no power, children had no power. So children were the ultimate non-person in the society. And even those non-persons were welcome in Jesus' world. Those were the people Jesus said would inherit the kingdom of God. And those were the people on whom the kingdom of God was built. So everybody listening to Jesus this day would have been totally shocked by everything that he said. In our society these days, we do try our best to take care of children. We don't hear people saying children should be seen and not heard anymore. We go to great lengths to make sure that children are represented in court, that especially at this church that children have places to serve in ministry as you just saw displayed. These are little tiny ministers that just ministered to you in a musical form. Amy Jill Levine says we are to receive the kingdom of God as a little child without regard to one's position in God's world. Perhaps also without insisting that it come to us by merit, but simply as given, just as children receive their upbringing. A baby came forward today and we baptized him. This is a little guy who is too young to say, I receive the unmerited favor of God, which is grace. He can't even say mama and daddy yet. So he can't speak for himself, but the parents came forward and said, we accept God's grace for our child. He didn't do anything to deserve it. None of us does. But we receive God's grace because it comes to us. That's prevenient grace. We Methodists are big on that. That's how we can baptize infants. Children illustrate the kind of people who are included in the kingdom of God, those low totem pole people, the people who don't have power, who don't have money, who don't have really much to offer, we think, but who are as precious in God's sight as the oldest and most powerful person. We are at the beginning of our stewardship campaign this month, and at the end of this service, we are inviting specifically members of this church who have been here for 35 years or more to come forward and put your pledge card in one of the boxes that will be on either, either side of the altar table. We're celebrating the contributions of those of our longest-term members, and I would like to go a little bit back... Farther in time and talk about a story from our history as a church when we were moving from farther north on Boston and going to build a church right here on this spot. It was the 20s. It was the boom time. It was shortly before the stock market crash and the Great Depression. So everyone thought it would work. Everyone felt great about it. And people had made generous pledges to this church that they sure felt they could fulfill in a way that it wouldn't even hurt, probably, for them to pay their pledge on a weekly or monthly basis. But then the market crashed and people lost everything. The grandfather of one of our uh, most faithful members who's here every Sunday, C.C. Cole, was the head of the building committee at that time. I asked Roger Coffee today, how old was your grandfather when he chaired that committee? He said 42 Ada Robinson, who designed the church, was 44. Most of the people, if you look in Joe Beth Harris's book, who were on that building committee had very unlined faces and most of their hair. (laughs) So this church was built by people who were in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, who maybe didn't have great wealth, who didn't have great power by that time, but they had God on their side and they trusted God and they trusted the strength of this congregation. So when the market did crash, guess who let his house be foreclosed upon in order to save his church pledge? C.C. Cole, the chair of the building committee. They had built a glorious home over by Har Weldon and the banks were getting ready to foreclose on it because they could not make the payments on it so they could either save their own home or save their church pledge. They let the bank take their house and they moved into a rental house and they kept paying their pledge. You may choose to feel guilty or convicted by that (laughs) or inspired. My real hope is that you will be inspired by those people's generosity and dedication and by their youth, by their youth. If we didn't have young people in this church, we would have no future. And I remember being told in seminary, if a baby ever cries in your sanctuary, get on your knees and praise God because there's a future for your church. (laughs) God calls those who have no power, who are at the lowest point on the totem pole, to be included in the kingdom and to have a front row seat. God calls us into community with all kinds of people low totem pole people, high totem pole people, people of all different colors on the totem pole, people with all different experiences. Father Richard Rohr talks about how Jesus spoke truth with his words, and he spoke it even more loudly with his presence. With those people with whom he sat at table, people who had been scorned by society, who were criminals. Who were lepers, etc., etc. Jesus showed his ability to participate in God's perfect love with his risen presence, showing us the way. When you speak with your presence, there's not much room to fight over the words you've used. Roar also says that communion is an invitation to experience socially the shared presence of God. Holy Communion time is a very embodied time in the worship of our church. We come forward and we kneel if we can. We stand if we cannot. And we receive a tiny vial of grape juice and a wafer. And we know this symbolizes the body of Christ. What's also present there is that we are supposed to have left any conflict we have with other members back there. And when we leave it back there, it's resolved. Preferably we leave it out there. Or way back in the past, because we fixed it a long time ago. We lay down our arms, we lay down our conflicts, conflicts, and we say, I am ready to sit at table with every person at this altar, no matter who they are or where they've come from. I want to say also, Something that kind of caught me off guard when I was serving communion in the Rose Chapel not too long ago, a woman came and said, I've wanted to take communion, but I really cannot be around alcohol. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to taste it. And I said, you've come to the right place. We don't do that here for parties or weddings or communion or anything. So if that is a hindrance to you coming forward, let me straighten that out for you. You won't find it in these cups. We've got good old, unfermented grape juice. So we are all called, and we are called to be in a place where we aren't wounded, where we leave our wounds aside, and where we come to be in full communion with one another. Rohr said, Jesus didn't want his community to have a social ethic. He wanted it to be a social ethic. Jesus just wanted everybody to get along for one thing. The last 10 days on our national stage, we have seen greater polarity in politics and in average people than we've probably had since, I don't know, the Civil War. It's been a more polarized time than any even presidential campaign I can remember. So those moments of civility that I've found and seen and heard have made me praise God, and made me think about how those people go about being civil and being kind and respecting other people's values. I don't know about you, but I look forward to Friday night at 6.30, for a really nerdy reason, (laughs) PBS NewsHour, right? I love Judy Woodruff. Do you know that she is the only managing editor of a news program on television in this country today who is female? When she and Gwen Eiffel before her untimely death, were co-hosting, they were the only two female managing editors on television of any news program. She is not one of the young 30 or 40-somethings. She is 71 years old, and she's still behind the desk They haven't said, you've outgrown your efficacy on television, Judy. They've said, thank you, Judy. Keep bringing it. She presents such a civil dialogue on her program. And the 6.30 on Friday night part is the other two people that I so love, who are Mark Shields and David Brooks. One writes for the Washington Post. One writes for the New York Times. One is a conservative. And one is a liberal. And you know what? After that show airs, I walk away and I sit there and I think, I agree with both of them. And I pretty much always do. How is that possible? Well, one thing that they do is they argue with each other civilly. They respect one another, they defer to one another, and they don't interrupt each other. They tease each other just a little bit, but it's in a nice way. You can imagine them walking out onto the streets of D.C. after the taping is over. I guess it's actually it's not taped. I think it's live after they're filmed on TV, just going and have a hamburger together or something. You almost imagine that their families get together on a regular basis, even though one writes for The Washington Post and one writes for The New York Times and one is a conservative and one is a liberal. David Brooks had an op-ed in The New York Times. I've just told you which one is which yesterday that I read, and he speaks of the uncivil times we live in and of the tribalism and the polarity, and he says we have to set up more forums for personal encounters between different kinds of people. You detoxify disputes when you personalize them. People who don't have regular contact with people they disagree with become intellectually dishonest quickly. Does any of you want to become intellectually dishonest? No. The more you sit at table with someone who looks different from you, the more intellectually honest you will be, and the more theologically in line with what God wants us to do you will be. This is Worldwide Communion Sunday, and we worship here knowing that Christians all over the world who look all kinds of different from us and speak all kinds of different languages from us will be worshiping and taking communion today. And I always think about this, probably because of some Sunday school I had and Sunday school teacher I had in sixth or seventh grade who said, imagine on this day that there are people who have to take communion in secret for fear of losing their lives, even in 2018. We are called to this communion table because we are called to take care of one another. For whom shall I care? How about your neighbor? How about the person that is next to you whom you disagree with? The person who wounded you years ago? The person you have now forgiven? Jan Richardson, Methodist poet, writes a great one called This Grace That Scorches Us. To bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everyone does not look like you or think like you, a place where they do not believe precisely as you believe, where their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not exact echoes of your own. Bring your sorrow. Bring your grief. Bring your fear. Bring your weariness, your pain, your disgust at how broken the world is, how fractured How fragmented by its fighting, its wars, its hungers, its penchant for power, its ceaseless repetition of the history, it refuses to rise above. In this place where you have gathered, wait, watch, listen. Lay aside your inability to be surprised, your resistance to what you do not understand. See then whether this blessing turns to flame upon your tongue, sets you to speaking what you cannot fathom, or opens your ear to a language beyond your imagining that comes as a knowing in your bones, a clarity in your heart that tells you this is the reason we were made, for this ache that finally opens us for this struggle, this grace that scorches us toward one another and into the blazing day. Amen.